When we tokenize these shares, use the blockchain, we're just taking it out of the back office of the company. We're recording their shares on this giant Excel spreadsheet in the sky we call Ethereum or blockchain. But it's got these great properties, which is that it's public. So if you know that this smart contract represents shares, there's no double counting of shares. And you no longer have to go to the company to record the transfers to shares. Buyer and seller can find each other digitally. They can transact digitally on the blockchain. And in essence, both of them are writing a new entry to the books and records of the company and they're both signing it digitally. Welcome to the Hacker Noon Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. In this episode, we interview Josh Stein from Harbor. Harbor is an equity platform using blockchain technology to be able to manage equity on the blockchain. There's a wide variety of use cases from real estate to startups to esports. In this episode, we dive deep on the legal frameworks and what it means to actually do these transactions and automate them on the blockchain. So if you're interested in the legalities of managing equity on the blockchain, this is an amazing episode. Josh has a legal background and you'll get some great information on what it takes to manage equity and how to automate it using blockchain technology in the Harbor platform. Please stay tuned. Greetings, Hacker. Ever wonder how to submit stories to Hacker Noon or check the status of your submissions? Well, wonder no more. Go to contribute.hackernoon.com. Whether you're a new writer, longtime contributor, or looking for the right place to spotlight your brand, get started with contribute.hackernoon.com. With your help, we are building Hacker Noon 2.0 to be the best place for tech professionals to publish, and it starts with a new submission flow. Head over to contribute.hackernoon.com today to claim your spot. You are Hacker Noon. Welcome to the podcast. I'm here with Josh Stein from Harbor. Tell us a bit about who you are and what you're working on. Trent, thanks for having me. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Harbor. Harbor is a blockchain technology company that's designed to digitize or tokenize traditional private securities. So think a share in a private company like a startup, uh, an LP interest in a fund like a VC fund, or a share in a private read or other real estate interest. Awesome. And can you break down some of the assets that you guys are, you know, tokenizing and building into your platform? Sure. So it's a wide variety of asset classes. Uh, I think one of the uh, heavy asset classes is real estate. Um, and real estate today is a very illiquid market. So large buyers will buy entire buildings. Individual investors can invest in these public REITs, which is these huge baskets of properties. But it's very difficult for an individual investor to get into single buildings or small um, small baskets of buildings and make the kinds of investments they want to do. Uh, and so, and real estate is the REITs and the funds are so illiquid that introducing, using this technology to reduce the frictions of trade and unlock some liquidity is really game changing. Some of the other asset classes that we're seeing a lot of interest from that we're really excited about are um, startup companies, particularly blockchain based companies, which makes sense if you think about it. Why yep. not use the technology for your own cap stack? Um, and then uh, we've talked to a number of professional sports teams and esports teams. Um, and that becomes really interesting because the technology allows you to do things you wouldn't normally think of when you would think of a share or a security in a private company. We can now bundle in all these other things to drive engagement with your fans or drive engagement with your investors and your partners. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely, you know, see the opportunities in, when it comes to equity and startups and being able to you know, manage that process using tech uh, instead of paperwork. 
Um, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Because you're actually a lawyer, right? I am a lawyer by training. So um, out of college, I spent some time in the Army, spent some time ski bumming out in Colorado, and then went to law school. Uh, I worked as a federal prosecutor for just about five years. Then I was in-house counsel to a number of um, highly regulated companies from defense and aerospace to insurance to other fintech. Um, and then at the last startup I was at, I met Bob Ramica and Arisa Mono, my co-founders, and David Sachs, who first came up with the idea for the company. And that's how all of us ended up here at Harbor. Awesome. And what are your thoughts on, you know, where this whole blockchain thing is going? Um, you know, you're... You know, you're bringing obviously this, you know, legal background to the table. Uh, you've got quite a business, you know, quite a bit of business experience and legal experience. You know, there's obviously some hesitation in the blockchain space when it comes to, you know, regulations and, you know, is this legal? Um, but given your background, you know, what is your kind of perspective and take on that? Uh, I think the technology is a fundamental transformation. Um, I don't think that the blockchain technology is applicable to every use case out there or every possible mm -hmm. uh, case where you use software. Sometimes I think some people make some grandiose claims, but where what you need to do is register and change title or ownership to something. Uh, it is, and there's more than two parties involved. It is the best technology out there. Um, I think the you, you, keep, you mentioned the legal issues or some of the regulatory issues that are out there. It's very complex and different depending on what you're applying the technology to. A lot of us think of Bitcoin uh, as the first and, and most popular use case today for use for payments or store of value. Um, the, reg, the regulations and the issues around that look very different than when you use blockchain technology to record and transfer title to other assets. Harbor's using the Ethereum blockchain to do it for private equity. Other people are looking at land title. Other people are looking at um, a whole bunch of other use cases. So it's the regulations I don't think are going to uh, substantially inhibit the adoption of the technology. And in fact, in a lot of cases, the technology shows extra value because the regulations are so complex and the technology allows you to program away the inefficiencies that those regulations impose. Because a lot of this ultimately has to do with bureaucracy, paperwork, um, and, you know, in some cases, legal process. Um, and blockchain ultimately allows you to kind of automate that. Exactly. I mean, blockchain at its heart is recording and transferring title. So anytime you do that, if I trade a stock, I'm changing ownership. I'm changing title to that share of stock. Um, and so when you use blockchain technology, instead of everyone having a different ledger, a different set of records that you have to reconcile, everyone's working off one set of information. So that's a huge efficiency saver. That's a huge reduction in time and paperwork and expense, as well as because of the special nature of the blockchain, it's one set of records, one ledger that we can program so that a whole bunch of controls around who can buy and sell instead of in a paper world where you have to have an intermediary who is manually reviewing every transaction. Instead, you can program in those rules so that buyer and seller can transact and transfer title and all of those rules get applied in a very automated way. So to your point, um, you can take out all these inefficiencies. I think the best mental model to use is a transition from snail mail to email. Mm -hmm. it used to be I typed out a letter, uh, printed out, paid 50 cents, uh, threw it in an envelope, waited three days, and that seemed just fine. And then I distinctly remember the moment where I started clicking send. The content of the written communication was the same, but it was faster, cheaper, and easier by orders of magnitude to send that email. 
So what happened was is that email is faster, cheaper, and easier. I can send and receive far more emails in a day than I ever did letters. And with email, you can start doing things you never did with letters. Um, you can do marketing campaigns. You can archive and store and search. Um, never in the history of the world did anyone ever mail a letter to their buddy saying, where are we going to lunch today? But we send those emails all the time. So similarly, anything where we're recording and transferring title or ownership amongst a widely dispersed group of people, blockchain technology has the ability to do that transition from paper to digital, from analog to digital. It's going to be the same kind of transformation. You can um, transfer ownership faster, cheaper, and easier by orders of magnitude. And that opens up your ability to do things that you could never do before. Yeah, and this opens up new opportunities for governance as well, because you know now you can actually have access to those ledgers and those records, so you can govern them as well. Do you have any thoughts on how blockchain technology affects governance? Uh, sure, in a number of ways. I think uh, governance is a really broad word. It's um, you uh, depends on the context you're talking about. So. If you think where Harbor's focus, which is on the digitization or tokenization of securities, um, governance of a company is, is governed by the voting rights of those securities. Well, in a paper-based world, people get these proxy statements, they get, um, it becomes very difficult to exercise that vote, so votes are taken. Um, because the, the corporate democracy, that corporate governance is so hard, you just don't do it as often. In a digital world where it's much easier, you can now interact, you can vote, you can do things, make decision-making processes you didn't before. There are certain things that happen automatically due to a contract that today you have the intervention of lawyers and people manually figuring out, did certain conditions happen, do certain payouts need to happen? Those can now all be automated, can be programmed. Um, and if you think of governance more broadly in terms of governance over a technology or a product, that governance is accounted for in some of these blockchain systems with the voting rights that come with certain tokens. You have the ability to sell or disaggregate those voting rights from the ownership through these staking mechanisms. Um, so there's a lot of really interesting ways in which governance can be um, made faster, cheaper, and easier, and can be uh, programmed or made automatic. And I would argue it adds transparency as well. Greetings, hacker. Ever wonder how to submit stories to Hacker Noon or check the status of your submissions? Well, wonder no more. Go to contribute.hackernoon.com. Whether you're a new writer, longtime contributor, or looking for the right place to spotlight your brand, get started with contribute.hackernoon.com. With your help, we are building Hacker Noon 2.0 to be the best place for tech professionals to publish, and it starts with a new submission flow. Head over to contribute.hackernoon.com today to claim your spot. You are Hacker Noon. A lot of these decisions and a lot of the things you're describing, you know, they're happening in silos. They're happening on paper. Um, you know, not this is, this information is not necessarily you know available to even members of the same company. Um, you know, so in a startup, for example, you know, you don't necessarily know who's voting what and when and why and how decisions are getting made. Sometimes, you know, one person makes a decision because they have to, um, and you know, there's no record of that. Um, with blockchain, especially when it comes to anything that has to do with securities or equity, uh, you've got a record of it. You do. So the blockchain gives you that perfect immutable record that you can rely on. So the amount of transparency um, is really largely choosable by um, the company or the, uh, or the unit implementing the blockchain technology. So for example, you know, you're talking about having more transparency into decision making in a corporation. So for example, 
you, you see a wallet address on the Ethereum blockchain. You know that wallet address ABC123 owns 10 or 50 or 100 of something. Whether that 10 or 50, 100 of something are preferred shares in the Series A or credits to the company holiday party or, uh, you know, what? It, it, you don't know that. The company could choose to make that public, but could also choose not to. And you see that ABC123 is 20 of something and XYZ456 is 50 of something. But whether those two are the same person or different people or who they are isn't necessarily public unless you want to make it. So I think what's really... Uh, in part exciting about it is you have a real, uh, not only do you have fine-grained control over the recording and transference of ownership, but you can have fine-grained control over um, what this public ledger or what this immutable ledger shows to the greater world. And what are some of the use cases? I know before we were recording, you, uh, you mentioned esports. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So we've talked to a number of esports companies about uh, digitizing or tokenizing shares in the company. I think um, what might help is let's just back up a second and talk about what it means to tokenize shares in a company and what the value prop is generally. Um, and then I think it'll be really interesting to talk about the specific things you can do for esports companies, which I think will be really appealing to people listening to this podcast. So today, when you own shares in a private company, like an esports company or any other company, um, those shares are, are recorded in the books and records of the company. So if you own a share in um, a new startup, the startup is keeping the, used to be in the old days, they had a red paper ledger, a red leather bound paper ledger, and they write down, Trent has 50 shares, Josh has 10 shares. Then people started keeping on Excel spreadsheets, and that's still common today. Your law firm will have an Excel spreadsheet, and it'll say Trent 50 shares, Josh 20 shares. Now people sometimes will use software programs, um, like Carta or CapShare or others, it's basically a special Excel spreadsheet to track it. When we tokenize these shares, use the blockchain, we're just taking it out of the back office of the company. We're recording those shares on this giant Excel spreadsheet in the sky we call Ethereum or blockchain. Yeah. Um, but it's got these great properties, which is that um, it's public. So you know, if you know that this smart contract represents shares, there's no double counting of shares. And the company, no, you no longer have to go to the company to record the transfers of the shares. Buyer and seller can find each other digitally. They can transact digitally on the blockchain. And in essence, both of them are writing a new entry to the books and records of the company, and they're both signing it digitally. So rather than the way it normally works, which is you and I agree to exchange our shares, we get the lawyers involved, they trade a bunch of red lines. We got to go to the company, ask for their permission, then it's got to get recorded in the ledger of the company. And then down the road, all three of the records don't match up. And now we're in a dispute or a giant, um, a whole bunch of brain damage about untangling what went on a year ago. And, you know, people don't realize that happens all the time. Every startup company, every time they do a new fundraising round is spending time with their lawyers, um, unclustering the, the cluster that is their cap table. And it's always the case. Yeah, I've so, seen it multiple times myself in several projects. So with the Ethereum blockchain, essentially all the restrictions that you do or don't want to impose on the transference of shares, you can automate, and that's where hardware comes in. You can allow buyer and seller to transact directly. You don't have to have lawyers involved at 10, 20, 30 grand a pop. And instead of taking weeks to get it all done, it happens in a couple of minutes on the Ethereum blockchain. And then what's particularly um, exciting as well is there are these places where buyer and seller can meet, exchanges, bulletin boards, elsewhere. And you can trade um, near instantaneous settlement and no counterparty risk, which is 
which is really different than the way the world works today. So that's what's exciting is the promise of blockchain technology in the, in, when we apply it to private securities is to unlock liquidity because we take away all these frictions to trading in a paper world. The other thing we do is by having a modern software platform to do the fundraising on, you can syndicate far more widely. Like normally in a fundraising round or a syndicated real estate deal, you've maybe got 20 participants tops, maybe 30. And even then you want to blow your brains out because of the paperwork and who wired and did they, did the person wired sign the paperwork and does the paperwork match the money and everything, everything's so hard. But um, under the securities laws, you can have up to 2000 shareholders per class of equity. So you could actually lower the check size. If you're raising $50 million, normally you go out to 10 folks and they're cutting checks at two to 5 million each. You could actually break that down to 2000 units at $25,000 each. Mm-hmm. You can democratize access to that investment far more widely, which also means later on when you tokenize or use the blockchain, it's, it could be far more liquid. So uh, that's the fundamental promise of what companies like Harbor is doing is you can syndicate far more widely. You can break unbundle things into smaller pieces and then you can get liquidity on the back end. People can trade those pieces in a way that they couldn't before. Yeah. Um, and so that without was, the legal headache. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because all the legal rules get programmed into it. That's the job of Harbor. There's all these complex rules, a maximum number of investors. You have to hold it for a certain period of time. Certain people, kind of people can buy or sell and they've got different rules. And the company may have its own special rules. Like the company may say, all our current investors can trade amongst themselves, but nobody new comes onto our cap table unless we approve them or whatever it is. And so that's, you can think of those as rules around the who, the what, and the where. There are rules around who the buyer and seller can be, rules around what the trade can look like or what the cap table has to look like, and there are rules around where the trade can occur. And that's Harbor's job. We're sitting in the background every time this uh, digital security goes to trade, and we're checking the who, the what, and the where. If they all check out, trade goes through, no one knows Harbor was ever involved. And the wonders of the blockchain are, you can trade 24 seven, 365, around the globe with near instantaneous settlement and no counterparty risk. If any of it doesn't check out, we throw an error and like an email message bouncing back. It says error would result in too many investors because the last <laughs> thing you want to do as a startup is go public after your series A or your series A, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, or error, you know, um, Kim Jong-il at NorthKorea.com is not an acceptable investor for this hot startup. <laughs> Whatever it is. Um, and so, um, that and that really takes away all these frictions and barriers to trading in a paper world and allows for liquidity. And what's really neat is Harbor tracks real world identity over time. So you always know who's on your cap table. That's the only way you can enforce these rules. So now you can bundle in rights or perks not normally associated with the security. So imagine you're an esports team. You really, you've got these fans, but you want to drive more fan engagement. What would drive more fan engagement than actually turning them into an investors, real mm-hmm. estate holders, right? We give employees stock options so that they feel like owners and it works because then they really are owners. Let's create, the, let's create an ownership mentality amongst our fans. Let's go out and um, fundraise. Let's tokenize some of our equity, sell it to the esports fans. That's great. Now they feel like owners. But now you can take things that that are valuable to those investors. It doesn't cost much to the esports team, but it's very valuable to the investors. So the esports team can raise more money or get a better valuation. Things like, hey, if you invest in the esports team, 
You get access to special merchandise or swag that only the owners do. You get to meet the e-athletes at, mm-hmm. at owner meetings once a quarter or a couple times a year. You can do special um, gaming tournaments, right? You can do a Fortnite tournament where take your investors and split them up on some teams and sprinkle in your professional players and have them all fighting each other, right? <laughs> um, you can do you can do all sorts of special things. So, um, you know, turbocharger fans into stakeholders, I think, is great. You're democratizing investment, mm-hmm. um, and giving people access to these esports teams. I mean, esports is just taking off, and the sky's the limit. I mean, you look at the viewership numbers for Twitch. Uh, yeah, it's insane. The market's just blowing. There's up. a Super Bowl happening right now, like on Twitch. Um, in terms of viewership, it's in, it, the numbers are astronomical. They are. They are. I mean, I think of my own kids. Um, I mean, I was a gamer starting with the old Atari. <laughs> God, that was back in the 70s. I hate to admit <laughs> uh, uh, But like my son, I mean, he never watches TV. The TV never turns on. He's either playing on a console or he's watching Twitch or some of the YouTube gamer streams. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I think it's really neat is you can take the Harbor Technology, the company can raise more capital amongst more people at a lower cost of capital, more easily and quickly. Um, and they can turbocharge their fans or their partners or their vendors into stakeholders, the same way we use employee stock options. And on the fan side or the partners or the vendor side, they can really be stakeholders. They can get into investments they couldn't otherwise. They can do it in a more liquid way so when they need to cash out, they can. Um, and you just create this real symbiotic relationship amongst everybody in your ecosystem. And, you know, the Green Bay Packers in the NFL, they're actually, they sell ownership uh, as part of that team. They're one of the few sports teams that has done that. They haven't done it on the blockchain yet, but, um, you know, this has been done in the traditional sports industry as well. And applying it to esports just makes so much sense um, because you've got, you know, you've got a technology that enables them to be able to do this digitally, which like I said, it just makes perfect sense. So it does. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, Harbor and, you know, how the platform works? Like how would someone get started with you guys? Sure. So um, let me talk to it from um, an investor's point of view and an issuer's point of view or someone raising capital because Harbor is a technology platform that helps those two people find each other in an app and interact over the entire life cycle of that digital security. And again, I just, I really want to emphasize in what this enables is really revolutionary, but the actual ownership interest isn't any different. You have a share in a company today that exists only on paper or exists only in an Excel spreadsheet in the back in the company's back office. Now it exists on the Ethereum blockchain, but the fundamental nature of the ownership isn't any different. It's a share in a private company. It's snail, it's snail mail to email. It's the same written communication. So um, uh, let me start with the end with the way liquidity happens, and then I'll loop back to the beginning to how you get involved. So. The way the liquidity happens, to summarize again, is every time that digital security goes to trade, that share in that esports team, Harbor's in the background um, checking all these complex rules, both the securities laws in the U.S. and elsewhere, as well as the particular rules that that esports team. and that kind of thing, right? Yeah, it's around the who, the what, and the where. So rules around who the buyer and seller can be are KYC AML. We can't have Vlad at RedSquare.com on the cap table. Um, things about like, is it a credit investor status necessary? Um, and that varies complexly depending on the particular type of security and when it's offered. Um, and there are varying caps and rules. Um, 
rules around uh, that particular company may only want to allow existing investors to trade or they may only want to allow season ticket holders to buy and trade or whatever it is. Um, there are rules around what the cap table can look like or what the trade can look like. So there's holding periods. There's maximum number of investors. Sometimes there's a minimum number of investors. There may be limitations on no one person can own more than a certain percentage. And then finally, there are rules around where the trade can occur. So um, companies want to be able to control what exchange it trades on. If it trades on exchange, that exchange has to have a certain type of licensure in certain jurisdictions. Maybe companies only want it to trade um, over the counter or in a specific place. And so the who, the what, and the where, Harbor's in the background checking those. Mm -hmm. um, and if all the, the who, what, and where check out, trade goes through and no one knows Harbor was involved. Just like when I click send on that Gmail message, I have no idea what Gmail and Yahoo and Outlook are doing. I just know it goes through. If any of the, if the who, the what, and where don't all check out, Harbor throws an error and the trade never happens. And just like an email message bouncing back, it's, hey, error would result in too many investors. Error, um, this company only allows existing investors to trade amongst themselves, whatever it is. So um, that's the way to define those rules too. That's, th that's correct. The company can, the, at a minimum, Harbor requires that we uh, instantiate what the securities laws require, the ones that we can programmatically enforce. Um, but companies are free to impose rules in excess or, or above what the, what the law requires. And a lot of companies are interested in that um, for a variety of reasons. So if we loop back to the beginning, how does all this happen in the first place? Let's start with the fundraise. So let's say um, you're an esports team. Uh, we'll call you Acme Esports Team. I'm a big Roadrunner fan from Warner Brothers. Back in the day, everything was always Acme. So Acme Sports Company wants to do a fundraise. Um, they work with their lawyers and Harbor and whomever, and they create the, this idea of tokenized equity they want to do. For the investor, there'd be a website, acme.harbor.com. And you see Acme's name front and center, um, and the investor would in a little Powered by Harbor uh, logo in the corner, and the investor would go and get vetted. So this is an online fundraising platform to onboard and vet the investor, take care of the documents, and take care of the funding. So the vetting of the investor, the investor creates an account, supplies some information, name, address, social, date of birth, copy of their driver's license. Uh, Harbor does the KYC AML vetting. We do the accreditation uh, accredited investor vetting if that's necessary. Um, then they'd go on and they'd see the documents. They'd sign an NDA if that's applicable. They'd see the private placement memorandum that gives them all the uh, financial info, the required legal disclosures. And then when they're ready, they'd sign the purchase agreement. It's called a subscription agreement. After they've signed the documents, then you go through the funding or the payment flow. It's like the Amazon.com of buying digital securities. So, mm -hmm. Shares are $10,000 each. You'll get two. That's $20,000. Um, you can pay in dollars if you want, and then you get wiring instructions into a bank account. Um, you can pay in cryptocurrency, Bitcoin or Ether or some of the stable coins. I think for like paying cryptocurrency, just think of it as using yen or euros, and there's just a conversion service. It's just a different form of currency that's easier for some folks to use. Um, all this money goes into the escrow account when the company raises the minimum fundraising, what's called a contingency. You break escrow. So you tell all the investors, congratulations, your investment's been accepted. So up till now, you have a normal private capital fundraising. But because you have this um, high speed, low drag software platform, you could pump through a large number of investors 
from around the world and very quickly, efficiently, and cost-effectively vet them and onboard them. Versus Norman, this is done in a paper world where literally you're emailing documents back and forth and they've all got different red lines and you're trying to figure out who wired it. You literally want to blow your brains out. <laughs> right? the, the brain damage is enormous even when you're only dealing with 25 or 30 investors. If you try, you just, even though legally you could go out to 2,000 investors, you would never do it because on a practical level, you couldn't, you know, as, as it, Horowitz says, software is eating the world and software will eat this archaic paper-based process of how we do fundraising. So now, <laughs> so now comes the crypto part. So um, you've closed the fundraising. That investor, they've got their harbor.com account. It's, just, it's much like a, uh, uh, other accounts that you have, Salesforce, Harder, all these others, where they'll see the different issuers they've interacted with. They'll see what they own, copies of the documents they signed. They'll see links to that investor's portal for the issuer, that website. They'll see links to any exchanges or OTC desks where it trades. Um, Harbor creates these security tokens. Um, we, we create them with a qualified custodian which is important from a legal standpoint. Um, we audit those smart contracts. We um, audit the, we go in and we do an audit of the flow of funds and the accreditation and the KYC ML to make sure everything's correct. There's a 90, there's usually a 90 day worldwide lockup um, because that's generally the minimum lockup in the US. We want 90 days to do all these quality checks to make sure everything's correct because this is, this involves security laws. This often involves large sums of money. So you want to take some time to make sure everything's right before you let people start to trade. Um, oftentimes, people want to lock people up for a year because under the securities laws, that's a, a magical time frame. After a year, everything becomes much easier on everyone. But whether you're locked up for 90 days or a year on day 91 or day 366, investors can now trade according to the limitations of the securities laws and what the companies imposed on top of that. And they're out there and the whole time harbors in the background checking the who, the what, and the where. Awesome. And I got to ask, since this is the Hacker Noon podcast, what is some time in your life you've had to hack something? Uh, so um, I'll, uh, I'll give two. One is when I was young and I had to hack a high school party. Um, yeah, so my parents never left the house. And <laughs> it's impossible to have 300 of your closest friends over yeah. uh, if they don't leave the house. So um, we literally uh, worked with some um, friends of my parents to get them invited up to Tahoe over the weekend. <laughs> literally talking about, hey, wouldn't it be great if you guys went and hung out and had this great social event just so I could get them out of the house and invite 300 of my closest friends. <laughs> After that, the, uh, the hack didn't quite work out the way I planned because uh, my parents decided halfway through the evening that they really didn't want to spend the weekend in Tahoe and came back. Uh -oh. Fortunately, it was only about 20 or 30 of my closest friends that were there, so it wasn't quite <laughs> called it all off. <laughs> and you had a you had a second one I did have a second one um, and so I think uh, what's really um, interesting is the way and I don't know if you call it hack but sort of the way we've hacked together all the legal theories and underpinning to what we're doing at Harbor we've spent uh, an enormous amount of money on um, legal R&D on working with the best lawyers um, in this country and around the world to really get the legal underpinnings right. Um, and in essence, you've had to solve for all these different countries, all these different types of rules, and essentially create that into one overlay of rules that you can uh, enforce algorithmically. 
Um, and so I guess you could call it a hack that's hacking all of it together um, to really create this one set of rules around the who, the what, and where. That's definitely a hack. Um, you know, having to put together the legal frameworks of multiple countries, uh, definitely a challenge I would not want to take on personally. Um, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? Yeah, I think, um, I think Har- I'd want to emphasize one thing, which is Harbor is, or two things. One is Harbor is just part, is a part of this larger ecosystem. So um, the tokenized securities we issue are ERC-20 standard tokens. There's all these other technology protocols and companies that add so much value. When something's digitized, you can do things with it you couldn't do before. Just like email, you can, there's Marketo, there's all these things you can do with email you can't do with snail mail. So there are important companies like DYDX, which allows you to do derivatives, longs and shorts on these digital securities. There's the ZeroX protocol, which powers all these decentralized exchanges that allow you to trade this efficiently and in ways you couldn't before around the world. There's things like MakerDAO, which allows you to get efficient margin loans and die this innovative stable coin. There's the Dharma protocol, which allows you to create debt associated with this. There's uh, startups on top of Dharma, like Blockboard. And there's all these important companies um, that because these are common standards, just like there are all these companies built on email, because common um, uh, email standards. Um, and so it's really exciting, not just what Harbor's doing. Harbor's able to exist because we interoperate with all these other players and technologies on the Ethereum ecosystem. Um, and that's why I think it's really exciting. Awesome. Yeah, I can definitely see the benefits of being able to easily connect with other companies that are really good at one particular thing and just let them do that. And then you focus on what you're good at, which, you know, hacking together legal frameworks, um, you know, and making that all automated and making sure those smart contracts and everything is in place and operating legally and correctly. I mean, that's a, that's a huge undertaking. Um, so, you know, you've, you've definitely, uh, you've got an interesting project here at Harbor. Well, thank you. We're excited about it. Thanks for having us. Yeah. And where can people find you? Uh, the best place to find us is harbor.com. Awesome. And can they get started there? There's sign up information and all that good stuff. Sure. There's uh, you can create your Harbor identity and get pre-vetted. You can see companies that are using the Harbor platform to make, to offer their own securities. Um, and you can get more information if you're interested in using the Harbor platform to help you do your own capital raise. Fundamentally, we're about using this technology to unlock liquidity and broaden access to a wide range of investments. And we're really excited that when people take an interest and come join us. Awesome. Powerful stuff. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Great. Thank you. This concludes another episode of the Hacker Noon Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. Please don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and YouTube and follow us on social media. You can also find us at hackernoon.com and podcast.hackernoon.com for more episodes. Thank you for listening.